Well, hey, Orchard, we're so glad that you are here with us today. I'm excited to wrap up this series, For Better or Worse. And we're going to be in Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, it may say in your Bible. We're going to be in chapter 5, if you want to go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We'll have it on the screen for you as well. But before we get there, I want to talk to you for just a moment about something that if you were here last week, uh, you heard the executive pastor, Ryan Dickinson, talk about. That we, a few weeks ago, signed a contract with Stargate Charter School over in Thornton for us to have um, Orchard Churches in Thornton, in their uh, auditorium there. And so we're really excited about this. But I want to tell you a little bit more about the backstory to this. Uh, me and my family moved here this past June to plant a church here in Denver, Colorado. And about three years ago, we were out for a visit in Denver. We were trying to figure out where we were going to plant a church. And Thornton was one of the two communities that we had kind of narrowed it down to. And we pulled up in the parking lot of Stargate Charter School, and we sat there, and, and I prayed, and I asked, just asked God, if, if we're going to be in Thornton, I want to be in this school. It's the largest charter school in Colorado. It's known over there. I mean, it's, a, it's in a great place. And I just prayed, God, if this is the community you want us to come to, to bring the gospel to, then I want to do it in this school. This is before I had ever heard of Orchard. This is before I'd ever met any of you. This is before I'd ever met any of the staff. And, and so we prayed that prayer. Unbeknownst to us, the staff here has a 2020 vision of launching a new location by the end of 2020. And that's part of the church's vision. And so they had begun praying about it. And they'd been, begin looking at the surrounding communities. And their hearts had kind of landed on Thornton as well. Isn't it amazing that God was answering both of our prayers? We didn't even know each other yet. And he was answering our prayers at the same time. And so we move here and we come here to do an apprenticeship. And we meet you people and we love you people. And we like most of the staff. And so we said, hey... Why don't we do this together? And so we begin having conversations. Instead of us just planning a church that's on its own, why don't we do this together? And why don't we launch an orchard location in Thornton, in the place that we have been praying for, in the place that you have been praying for? And so uh, we are working towards that, and we're so excited about what God is doing. It's going to be uh, an orchard church. It's going to be the same messages, the same music, the same feel over in Thornton at Stargate Charter School. And so we're super excited about this. And if you want to be a part of this, and we do need some of you to be a part of this, um, on March 17th, we're going to have an interest meeting here uh, that evening here at the church. Now, here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to just take three or 400 people out of Orchard Brighton and move them to Orchard Thornton and say, hey, look, we have a church. We want to reach the people who are unchurched, the people who don't know Jesus in Thornton. And so we want to take a few of you who live over in that community, who say, you know what, I, I believe in what Orchard is doing. I believe in the power of the gospel, and I want to live on mission." I want to invite my neighbor down the road to church. I want to invite the person that, that bags my groceries at the grocery store to church right down the road here in their community. If that's you, and we hope that some of you are, I want you to come to that interest meeting on March 17th to hear more about what we're going to be doing. But then some of you may say, hey, Michael, I don't live over there. I'm over here in Brighton. I'd like to play a part. What, what could my role be? There's a role for you, too. Leading up to the launch of this, we're going to be doing community events. We're going to need lots of people to volunteer uh, to be a part of that. But then another way that we're going to need you is uh, some of the people that we have currently volunteering here at Orchard Brighton, they may live in that community, and they may say, we're going we're to start volunteering over in the Thornton location. And that's going to leave a hole here in kids' ministry, in guest services, at the, at the First Impressions team, out in the parking lot, in the security team. There's going to be some holes to fill. And so maybe if you've called Orchard home for a little while now, but you've mostly just been coming, you haven't gotten involved yet in a serving in a volunteer role, maybe that's the way you can help take the gospel to Thornton is by filling the holes that are left here when some people begin serving there. 
And so if that's you, I would also invite you to come to that meeting on March 17th to hear more about what's going on. And so today what you can do on your way out at the Got Questions uh, corner out there, there's some of these little cards that have information about um, Orchard Thornton. And I'd love for you to grab one of these and put it on your, on your mirror, put it on your dashboard of your car, put it somewhere that you see it and begin praying. And I, I want to ask you to pray for two things. I want you to, one, pray that, that God will go before us into the community of Thornton that his spirit will begin to convict and begin to work in lives and so that when we come in there, we see a harvest of people coming to know Jesus Christ because of the work that he's done before. So I, I would ask you to pray that. But then too, I would also ask you to pray, what part do you play in this? Is it a part that you play here at Brighton? And if that's it, then that's a great part. I'm excited for that. If it's a part over at Thornton, then that's great. But begin praying, asking yourself, how can you live on mission so that more people can hear the gospel of Jesus? Can you do that for me, church? Yeah? Come on, you can do that for me, right? We're excited about that. But I'm also excited about this morning as we wrap up this series, uh, For Better or Worse, where we talk about relationships. So let me catch you up if you've missed any of the last few weeks. The first week, we talked about uh, godly qualities that we need to have to attract others, the, the right kind of qualities that we should have so that we attract the right kind of people. And then in the second week, we talked about how to pursue intimacy in our relationships through every season because relationships have all kinds of seasons, don't they? They have ups and downs, they have goods and bads, highs and lows, but in all of those seasons, we need to pursue intimacy. And then last week, if you missed it, you may want to go back and watch it. uh, Doug talked about God honoring sex. They looked at the honeymoon of Solomon and his wife. Now, I wasn't at the honeymoon, but I can read, and it went good. It good. It was a good trip for them on their honeymoon. But maybe some of you are here today and you've been married five years, you've been married eight years, you've been married 12 years, and you would say, hey, Michael, I don't know if you know this, but the honeymoon ends. (laughs) There comes a point where the honeymoon is over. And I'm not saying that to try to scare you. I just want to be honest with you. That is true in a relationship. There is a point where the honeymoon ends, and that's where we find ourselves in the story where we're going to look at today in chapter 5. They have come to a place where everything was good, And now the honeymoon is over. Now they are stepping into the ring. You know what I'm talking about, stepping into the ring. For me, when I was a kid, the ring had four doors and we called it an Oldsmobile. That was the ring for my parents. We would get in the car to go to vacation. And vacation was great. Before vacation was great. After vacation was great. But in the car on the way, I mean, that was their ring. That's where they fought. It probably didn't help that that was before society cared about little kids, so I didn't have to have a seatbelt on, and I was running around in the back seat fighting with my sister. That probably didn't help them any. But my dad wanted to get there one way, my mom wanted to get there another way, and there was only one steering wheel. And so they fought it out until we got there. And I just remember that. That was the ring when I was a kid. The ring for you and your relationship may look differently. The honeymoon comes to an end, and arguments and frustrations begin to come out, things that we didn't experience on the honeymoon. I know at my house, uh, for, for me and Dale, it's different. She expresses her frustration, her anger uh, differently than I do. So I'll be in the living room somewhere, and I'll hear her in the kitchen, and, and I'll hear something like this. Ah, oh, this is the worst day ever. I just, I'm over this day. This is terrible. I can't believe it. And I'll jump up, you know. Somebody lost a hand or, you know, a kid's gone. What, what happened, babe? She's like, I dropped the spoon, you know. And I'm like, I feel like that was, that was a little bit of an overreaction, you know. But that's, that's how she expresses some anger and some frus- frustration. Luckily for her, I don't really have any quirks like that, so there's just nothing to talk about for me. <laughs> I'm just, I've only been here a little while, and you don't believe that about me. No, I, I'm different. I'm, a, I'm on the other end. She expresses it. She gets it out, and then it's over. I keep it in. I bottle it up. 
and I go two or three or four days and it can still be bugging me and I just keep it in. I'll just figure this out on my own. I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't need any advice. I keep it all in. I, I think it's probably better the way she handles it. At least we deal with it right then and then it's over. But either way, for both of us, the honeymoon is over. Those things didn't happen on our honeymoon. The honeymoon is over. See, here's the truth. All couples fight. Every single couple you have ever seen, no matter how happy they look when you see them, all couples fight. The truth is, we're going to tell the truth because we're in church today, okay? Here's the truth. Some of you fought on the way to church this morning, didn't you? (laughs) Don't raise your hand. Don't elbow. But some of you, I mean, you went at it in the car. Now, we don't know this about you because you came in with a smile on your face because you had to check your kids in. You didn't want to frighten the other children, so you put it on pause. <laughs> but round two is going to start as soon as you get back in the car. Some of you right now, you've been, you've been taking notes. I'm going to say this and I'm going to say that. This is, a, this is a good line, you know. Like you, you are ready to go, right, because the honeymoon ends. And that's what we see in this story is that the honeymoon ends. Every couple's fight. But here's the thing. Healthy couples fight fair. Or you can say it like this. It's in your notes. Unhealthy couples fight for victory, but healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for victory. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight to win. They think, how can I win this fight? How can I get what I want out of it? But healthy couples think, how can we win together? How can we we resolve this issue. There's some lessons for us to learn. So let's look in chapter 5, verse 2. This is the wife speaking here. And here is what she says. I slept, but my heart was awake when I heard my lover knocking and calling. Open to me my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. My head is drenched with dew and my hair with the dampness of the night. So the wife is in her room. She's trying to go to sleep, but her heart is restless. It's stirring because Solomon's not there where he should be, and she wants him there. She's restless. And he comes home. He comes skipping in the house, and he's got one thing on his mind, right? Like he's only thinking about one thing. Hey, baby, open the door. Daddy's home. He's excited to be home. Now, you've got to remember, it's, it's, that's not weird for him to be thinking this because just think about the relationship the last few weeks. I mean, she's talked about him. She's so in love with him and so infatuated with him. She talks about him leaping over mountains. That's how she describes him. She calls him her swift gazelle. Like, she's into this dude, right? She, she calls him uh, her young stag. In fact, just two verses before this, if you look up two verses, she tells him to blow on her garden. I don't even know what that means, but I bet Solomon was excited about it. So that's what he's expecting And he comes home and he comes to the door. He's excited. And look how she responds to to his excitement. She says, I responded, I've taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I've washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? Now, guys, I I did an in-depth study. What, What does that translate today? And here's what that translates today. Baby, I've just got a headache tonight. I just, I just don't feel that good tonight. Right? We, we have been there. They are in this moment of romantic infatuation, this, this just all-in love and marriage, and then it takes a turn to a place that they have never been. It takes a turn to a place of conflict. And what's crazy about this story is even though it was thousands and thousands of years ago, at the, at the root cause of their conflict it's the same thing that causes our conflict. I think there's two things that cause our conflict today. There's lots of reasons we, we fight. There's thousands of reasons we fight. But I think if you get to the foundation, if you get to the root cause, there's two primary causes 
of our conflict. Here's the first one, is that we have unmet expectations. We have unmet expectations. She slept, but her heart was awake. She got in bed, but she expected Solomon home. She expected him to be there, and he wasn't there. He didn't fulfill her expectation. But she wasn't the only one with expectations, was she? He comes bouncing in the house looking for the twin fawns. That's expectations. <laughs> He's got some expectations of his own that she didn't meet. They both had unmet expectations. And you, you know about these, don't you? You get married and, and you expect her to cook dinner every night because that's what your mom did. Your mom was an amazing cook and you expect that. And you get back from the honeymoon and you get home from work one day and she gets home from work and, and she brings in carry out and you're like, what is this? And she's like, dinner. And dinner tomorrow night too. It says we're just eating until it's gone, you know? You got an unmet expectation. Ladies, your your father fixed everything in the house. You never took a car to the mechanic. He fixed it. He just he was a handyman. He could do anything. You've been living in your house for six years. You still got pictures on the floor because your husband don't know how to hang a picture, (laughs) much less fix anything. You got unmet expectations. You get you get married, ladies, and you think this is great. I I finally have a lifelong partner every night to do Beth Moore Bible studies with. This is going to be fantastic. (laughs) And men. We're not as spiritual. We think, this is great. I finally have a partner every night to play video games with. <laughs> Unmet expectations. The men, you know, we say, hey, this is, I'm married now. Sex every, every day except Saturday. That's for football. <laughs> Ladies are like, only on Saturday, maybe. <laughs> We've got unmet expectations, and it builds frustration in us. It can cause frustration in our marriage. It can cause conflict. I remember when we first got married, I was, we were living in Panama City, Florida. And after I would get off work, um, some guys would go to play basketball. And so I wanted to go play. And Dale said, yeah, that's great. Go play basketball. But for her, when she said go play basketball, she meant go play a game of basketball. When I said I wanted to go play basketball, I meant I wanted to go play all the games of basketball. Like when they closed the gym, then that's when basketball was over. And so I was coming home later than she wanted. She had already made dinner. It was cold. She had eaten by herself. I was expecting her to be okay with me. She was expecting me to be home. And we had to work through this. We had to wrestle with these unmet expectations. And some of you may be here today and you've been married seven years and, and you're kind of looking around going, this, this isn't what I expected. Maybe you've been married 15 years. Maybe you've only been married one year and you look around and there's some expectations that you brought into this marriage. And for whatever reason, at this point, you're looking around and you're saying, This isn't what I expected. See, unmet expectations are the cause for most of the conflict in our marriages. Unmet expectations. But it's not the only cause. There's another cause for conflict, self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Both Solomon and his wife had self-centeredness. Solomon comes into the house, busting in the door, hey, let's do this. Thinking everything's good. He just thinks about himself. He doesn't think about his wife who's at home by herself. He doesn't put her needs in front of his. He puts his desires first. And she's in the room and she's thinking, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to wash my feet again. I don't want to get dressed again. She's putting her needs before his. They're both thinking about themselves. And we've all been there. One of us gets home from work and and we want to talk about things. And the other gets home and we just want to veg out. We get frustrated. It starts a conflict because we're putting our desires first. One of us wants to spend money on one thing. The other wants to save money for something else. And it causes a conflict in us. It causes frustration in us. And the list goes on and on and on about the way self-centeredness can cause conflict. 
But here's the truth. All of us are selfish, right? Every single one of us are selfish. If we just leave things alone, we don't drift towards caring for others. We drift towards selfishness. We drift towards what we want most, what we need, what our desires are. We don't drift towards caring for others. And it's true in our marriages too. It takes work to put our spouse first. We have to be intentional. We have to have a plan. We have to focus on putting their needs above our own. And I think when we begin to get into an argument, when we begin to get into a conflict, into a fight, if we would stop and ask the question, am I being self-centered? Am I focusing on what I need? If we'll honestly answer that, it will change the way we fight. Instead of fighting from an individual perspective about our self-centeredness and what we need, we will begin to fight and argue about the relationship. We'll fight for the couple's gain. We'll fight for the win of the relationship, not just our own win. We'll fight for a better resolution. These were two of the causes in Solomon and his wife's relationship of conflict. And it's two of the causes that we have in our relationships as well. But let's keep reading and see how this plays out. In verse 4, this is the wife still talking. She says, my lover, tried to, my lover tried to unlatch the door and my heart thrilled within me. Now, we need to remember, one verse ago, what was she saying? I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to clean my feet. I've got a headache, right? And now one verse later, she is saying, I'm kind of excited that he's home. I'm excited that he is here. So guys, I want to help you out. There are some mysteries in the world that are just never going to be solved, okay? Where the lost city of Atlantis is, we're probably never going to know. What's on the far extremes of the galaxies, we're never going to understand. Why a woman changes her mind, we're just not going to get it, okay? We're just not. She just does what she does. She's just one minute, she's like, I don't want to change, I don't want to clean my feet. And the next minute, she's excited that he's at the door. So that's where she's at. Let's keep reading. So verse 5. I jumped up to open the door for my love, and my hands dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my lover, but he was gone, and my heart sank. So I went search for him, but could not find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. The night watchmen found me as they made their rounds, and they beat and bruised me and stripped off my veil, those watchmen on the walls. So here's what happens. Solomon comes to the door. And she says, I don't want to get up. And so he puts some sweet-smelling fragrance, some oil on the door. And she smells that. And she says, well, maybe I do want to get up. And she goes to the door. But he's already left. He's gone. So she goes out. And it's the middle of the night. And so she covers herself. She wraps her face. And she goes out. And the guard, the watchman at the palace, they see someone out that shouldn't be out at night. And so they grab her. They don't know it's Solomon's wife. And they rough her up. They beat her up. And the night ends horribly wrong. Why did this night end like this? It's because a small thing became a big thing because they weren't fighting for the right thing. See, a small thing became a big thing because they weren't thinking about, they weren't fighting about the right thing. We've been there, haven't we? Something small comes into our marriage, some small issue, and we let it blow up into something huge. It becomes something that just overtakes our marriage. So one of us is running late and we don't call the other one and the other one gets mad and before you know it's just a full on fight. One of us spends money and the other, without asking, the other one didn't want us to and, and it becomes a big argument. One of us says something in passing and we didn't really mean anything but the other one takes it the wrong way and we both get defensive and it just blows it up because small things can turn into big things when we're not fighting for the right thing. It can blow up a fight. When we fight to win, 
when we fight to prove our point, when we fight to get what we need, instead of fighting to resolve our marriage, instead of fighting to resolve the issue. How many would describe your husband or wife? That's the way they, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Because it describes all of us. We all are selfish. And we all have a tendency to fight for what we want. But if we were to say, hey, how can we fight so that our relationship wins? How do we fight fair so that our marriage is better? How could we do that? How, how can we fight in a way that, that I don't just get what I want, but our marriage grows stronger? I think there's some promises that we should make to our husbands and to our wives to help us grow our relationship instead of just win a fight. So here's the first promise we need to make. I promise I will act and not react. I promise I will act and not react. Solomon got this right. He gets to the door and he could have gotten angry. He could have beat on the door. He could have said, "Let me. this is my palace. Let me in here. He could have totally reacted in anger, but he doesn't do that. He stays calm and he puts a sweet smelling fragrance on the door. He acts in love to win her over instead of reacting. We don't always get this right. I remember, um, I want to say that it was, you know, a couple months into our marriage, but I think it was a few years. I'm just a slow learner, so, but it was the only time I did this. Um, me and my wife were kind of arguing about something in uh, the living room of our house, and this is how I reacted in the middle of this argument. I said, I get it, shut up. Yeah, oh, is right. <laughs> but as the words were coming out of my mouth, my brain kicked in. It was a delayed reaction, but it did kick in and said, Michael, you should not be saying that to your wife right now. And so this is the way it sounded. I get it. Shut up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I immediately apologized for my shut up. And my wife just froze because I didn't even give her time to be angry. I was like, I said, I'm sorry. You can't get upset with me. Right? I reacted and acted all at the same time. What's better for us in the heat of a moment is to choose to act in love, not to react. Listen, husbands, your wife is not the enemy. She is not the enemy. Ladies, your husband is not the bad guy. He, he is on the same team as you. We need to choose to act in love instead of react in anger. Paul says it like this in Romans 12. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. In the moment, do good. Choose to act in love. But our go-to, it seems most often in our relationships, is we begin to criticize, don't we? You always do this. You never do this. You've always done that. We begin to criticize. And I don't understand why we do that. Because it never works, does it? The person that we love, if we truly want what's best for them, we wouldn't criticize them. When's the last time your wife has come home or your husband has come home and said, you know, my boss is just always on my case. I'm not bringing in enough sales. I'm not making enough money. I'm not doing a good enough job. He's just always on me, on me. I just love working for him. <laughs> never. Because criticism never gets the results that we're looking for. We're never going to criticize someone into being the person we want them to be. We need to choose not to react in anger and more fighting, but to act in love. Some of us today need to promise our spouse that we're going to act instead of react. There's a second promise we need to make. I promise to focus on the good and not the bad. I promise to focus on the good and not the bad. Look what Paul says about focusing on the good. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Listen, he says, 
Think about the good things. Don't think about the bad things. Think about the good things in your husband. Think about the good things in your wife. If you keep reading this story of Solomon and his wife, this is exactly what happens. She gets beaten up. She is roughed up. The night ends horribly as she's out looking for a husband. But as you read on, she goes back to remembering why she fell in love with him. She starts listing the things she loves about him and, and why she's excited to be his wife. She focuses on the good. She chooses to remember the good and not the bad. Why is it the person that we've chosen to love the most? It's so easy for us to focus on the bad, to focus on the negative, to focus on the sh shortcomings instead of remembering the good. And when we do this in the middle of a conflict, when we focus on the bad, before you know it, we're fighting over things that had nothing to do with the original argument. We're bringing up things from months ago, years ago, stuff I heard about you one day. Right? We're bringing things in to the argument that had nothing to do with the fight because we focused on the bad. I remember uh, one morning I got up and Dale got up. We got up at the same time. She was kind of quiet, but she's not a morning person. And so I didn't really think anything of it. I thought, I'll just give her a little more time. And the morning goes on, and we both get ready, and we come downstairs, and we're making coffee. And she's still not really talking. And so it's been a little longer than normal. And, and so I, I said, hey, baby, is something wrong? And you know what she said to me? She said, you were mean to me in my dreams last night. <laughs> and I, you know, I know I can push buttons, but I thought I was safe in my sleep, all right? Apparently, I am not safe in my sleep. And so I thought through the night, I was like, you know, it was eight hours. I'm pretty sure I was asleep. I don't remember doing anything. And so, so you know what I did? I apologized for how Dream Michael behaved. <laughs> I said, honey, listen, I, Dream Michael can be a jerk sometimes. I know he's got issues and I, I apologize. And she didn't take my apology real well. I'm not going to lie. It's probably because there's a little too much sarcasm in there. And so I found myself the rest of the day, I was hoping and praying that Dream Michael that night would bring flowers to get real Michael off the hook. <laughs> we, we started to fight a little bit because she was kind of focused on the bad, not even the real bad, just the dream bad. We began to fight. The truth is, sometimes we can't stop fighting because we can't stop focusing on the bad. We can't get past an argument because... We refuse to look past something that's bad, something that's negative. But here's the thing. No one has it all together. No one's got it all figured out. No one is perfect. So before you get upset that your husband isn't perfect, before you get upset that your wife isn't perfect, you need to know you're not perfect either. I'm not perfect. Dale's not perfect. We can't expect our spouse to fulfill every single need we have. If we do, it will lead to frustration. It will lead to fight. It will, fights. It will lead to conflict. And it will also give us a false sense. It will give us a hope for something that doesn't exist. And it often plays out like this. Our husband, our wife, they're 80% good. 80% got it together. Maybe we wish they talked a little bit more. Maybe we wish they talked a little bit less. Maybe we wish they were a little more outgoing or a little more laid back. But 80% is good. But we meet somebody at work, we meet somebody at the gym, we meet somebody in the neighborhood, and they do the other 20% that we kind of wish our spouse did. And we begin seeing that. We begin focusing on that 20%. And sometimes it even leads to us having real conversations in our heads about, should I leave for that? Here's the problem. Most of the time, they only have 20% good. We're willing to leave the 80%. See, one person just doesn't have it all together. No one person can fulfill you. You've heard the, the, the line before, you complete me. You heard that? You complete me. 
That's the dumbest line in the world, okay? Never, never use that line. Why? Because what you're saying, if you tell someone else they complete you, if you're expecting someone else to completely complete you, what you're saying is that God created you. He formed you. He had a plan for you. He created you specifically and intentionally, and he almost got it right. But somebody else had to come complete what God started in you. And God forbid something ever happened to your spouse and you're left alone again. Now you've gone back to being in complete now our spouses those we're in relationships with they come alongside to complement who we already are they can't fulfill us they can't complete us but they complement who we are and when we understand that we will understand we, we will have grace we'll say I, I know they are not perfect because I am not perfect and we will be able to focus on the good we'll be able to think about the things that caused us to fall in love with them in the first place and it will help us to fight fair because we're focusing on the good instead of focusing on the bad. And then one more promise we need to make. I promise I will talk and not walk. I promise I will talk and not walk. This is a difficult one. I'll be honest with you. I had to call my wife several times when I was studying for this, but particularly on this one. And I had to ask her to forgive me. And I had to say, baby, I need to grow in this. This is not something I'm good at. This is a difficult one. Solomon got this one wrong. He puts the fragrance on the door, but then he leaves. If he had stayed for just a few more minutes, the night would have ended totally different. The night would have looked totally different. If he had stayed, she wouldn't have had to go out looking for him. She wouldn't have gotten beaten up. This conflict, this small thing wouldn't have turned into a big thing. If he had just stayed we have to choose to talk and not walk Paul tells us this he says uh, in Ephesians and don't sin by letting anger control you don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger uh, gives a foothold to the devil he says listen don't go to sleep while you're still angry but this is what we do sometimes this is our version of walking we climb into bed and turn our backs don't we I'm going to show her I'm going to show him I'm not saying good night I'm not saying sweet dreams, no kiss tonight, missy, right? It ain't happening. We give them the silent treatment. And then what happens is they climb in the bed with their back to us, giving us the silent treatment, and all of a sudden we're mad that they're giving us the silent treatment. Hey, you can't give me the silent treatment. I'm giving you the silent treatment. Paul says, no, 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 no. Your relationship's not going to work that way. Don't go to bed angry. Figure it out. That may mean you've got to stay up for five days, but figure it out. Here's the thing, guys. Relationships, they're not easy. Marriages are not easy. They have problems. They have issues. Conflict is going to come. You're going to disagree. You're going to fight. But you can't walk away in the middle of conflict. You can't choose to just leave and let it blow over because it never blows over. And if you've done the first two, if you've made the first two promises... If, you're, if you've said, hey, I'm going to focus on the good, if you've, if you've done those things, then it will be easier for you to stay and talk and work through this conflict. See, there may be some of you this morning that would say, Michael, I need to make some of these promises. I know I, I need to. Some of us need this morning to say to our husband, to say to our wife, I promise I'm going to act instead of react. I, I, I typically react. I kind of blow up in the moment. 
when things get going, I just, you know, the heat comes out and I say things, I do things and that I shouldn't have done, I just react. But, but I promise you this morning that I'm going to begin trying to act in love instead of react to the heat of the moment. Some of you need to make that promise this morning. Some of you need to promise that you're going to focus on the good. Because sometimes we have a tendency to just focus on the bad. All the issues with our husband, all the issues with our wife, and we just focus on the bad. This morning, some of you need to promise each other. I'm going to start focusing on the good. There's a lot of good in you. And I'm going to focus on that when conflict comes up. Some of you need to turn to your husband and turn to your wife this morning and say, you know, I walk away too easy. When things get rough, I I shut the door. I get in the car. I go for a drive. I go to the gym. I, I walk away when what I really need to do is stay and talk. I need to work through this. Because if we will make these promises, it will change how we fight. We'll focus on fighting fair. How we can improve our marriage instead of how we can win. Maybe you can remember it like this. We'll fight to grow and not to get. We'll fight to grow and not to get. We'll fight for the growth of our relationship instead of fighting so that I can prove my point. Instead of fighting so that I can get what I want. Instead of fighting so that I can start making you be the person that I want you to be, we'll decide, you know, I'm going to fight for our relationship. I'm going to fight for the growth of our relationship. It's not about winning the argument. It's about our relationship. And I think when we do this, you'll see that you fight less often. And when you do have conflict, it will be shorter. And when you come out of that conflict, you will grow. See, every relationship has conflict, every single one. The goal here this morning is not to get rid of conflict. You're going to have conflict. It's inevitable. We're all going to have it. The goal is that you grow because of conflict, that after your conflict, you know each other more intimately, you love each other more deeply, and your relationship is stronger because you chose not for you to win, but for the relationship to grow. You put your spouse first. You chose to fight fair but here's the trick I can't do this for you you can't do this for me coming to church doesn't solve your conflicts you have to make a commitment a promise to each other that you're going to fight fair that you're going to fight so that your relationship grows and not so that you win as an individual but only you can choose to fight fair you'd bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment I want to speak to those of you who would say Michael we do want to fight fair maybe you have a healthy relationship maybe you're fighting all the time you're one fight away from what you think might maybe ending your relationship but you say this morning Michael we we want to man we're going to give this thing a try we're going to fight fair we're going to We're going to make these promises to each other. We're going to put each other first. We're not going to walk away. We're going to talk things out. We're going to focus on the good. We're not going to react in the moment. We're going to act in love. If that's you this morning, I just want to pray for you. If you'd say, Michael, yeah, we want our relationships to grow in conflict, not tear us apart. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? No one's looking around. If that's you, I just want to pray for you this morning. His hand's all over 
God, thank you for these men and women who say, yes, we fight, we have conflict in our marriage, in our relationships. There's times where things are rough, but, but they're committing to, to fighting fair, to putting their selfishness to the side, to putting their own desires to the side and focusing on their relationship so that their relationship may come out of a fight, may come out of a conflict healthier, that they may be more in love. So I pray that you give them the wisdom and the courage to keep these promises, that you give them the patience to keep these promises. And then they begin to see their relationship grow in conflict. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed. You know, we've been in this series about relationships for several weeks now. But the most important relationship, the one that matters above every other relationship is your relationship with God. See, God created relationships and he created you for relationship with him. And for your marriage, for your dating relationship, for your relationship at work to ever be what you would want them to be, you have to have a relationship with God because he is the designer of relationships. And he invites you freely into a relationship with him because he loves you. So if you're here today and you say, Michael, I I don't have a relationship with God, but today I would like to. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I I would like you to pray it right where you are. There's nothing special or magical about these words. It's just a prayer. Accepting the free gift that God has given you of a relationship with him. And so if that's you, right where you are, just pray this. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for wanting a relationship with me. Thank you for giving your son Jesus to die for my sins. Please forgive me. And I accept you as my savior and commit my life to you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. No one's looking around. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you out, but I wanna be able to pray for you. That's the single greatest decision you will ever make in your life is to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It will change everything about you. And so if that's you this morning, on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. No one's going to embarrass you. I just want to be able to pray for you. If you just prayed that prayer on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. If you just prayed that prayer, yeah, raise your hand down here in the front. I see you over here to my right. Thank you. Let me pray for you. God, men and women all over this auditorium, have just entered into a relationship with you. And your word says that heaven is celebrating right now. The angels are singing and dancing because of the new relationship with these men and women. And so I pray, God, as they walk out of these doors today, that they feel your presence, that their marriages, their relationships with their parents, their relationships with their work, uh, co-workers, it looks differently because of their new relationship with you. So give them strength and courage as they grow and walk in their relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.